Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to the final episode of the season for Better Words. I can't believe we finally made it. Where <laughs> sounds like we're really like rushing towards the end, but I feel like for many reasons this has felt like a long and eventful season. Yeah, we just had a lot of stuff going on, didn't we? I moved yeah. house. Like, yeah, it's co- crazy. God, there was just like a lot happening. There was. Anyway, we talked to a lot of wonderful authors this season about their wonderful books and I enjoyed reading all of them so much. Oh my goodness. Like I know, we're so lucky. Oh, like feeling like quite books. reflective. <laughs> I know. So yeah, and also like we're feeling quite reflective, everyone, because this will be our last like proper full season for this year as well like yeah we are doing something a little bit different for the second half of the year because obviously I'm going to be away for of like six weeks getting married and Caitlin's going to be there for some of that time yeah we get three of those weeks just like (laughs) so following Michelle and Jack around the country on their honeymoon (laughs) not really but you know (laughs) also like it it's the thing is though that when we discussed it like that timing would be like the middle of a season for us and we really want to break so we couldn't like just keep going and then we obviously like it's not great to be doing it around Christmas so we were like okay we can't do a full proper season of new books and new interviews um in the second half of the year so we're not doing that um we will probably do some bonus episodes with some reading recommendations and some updates and we'll definitely record something after we get back from overseas just we'll need to update you all on on our reading and other bookish things that we did um but yeah we'll share more about our sort of next project um that we'll be doing as like a a little different sort of season for the rest of the year if that makes sense. I know. I'd almost, we've had this idea for so long that I almost forgot that no one else knows. <laughs> like, I know. Like, <laughs> we're being very cryptic. <laughs> yeah, we're being very cryptic, but I feel like we should, now that we've been a little bit cryptic and given a couple of hints, that we should just wait and we will be sharing more soon on our Instagram and everything in the lead up. And we'll probably do like a little trailer or something. Will be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You know, don't miss out. At Better Words Pod on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) The main thing to know is that this is the final like full episode of this season and the final like little intro that we'll be doing for a little bit because for reasons we've just said we will be overseas um we'll be pretty yeah, and the next season will things. look a bit different so it'll be a bit different yeah that's why we'll do some bonus episodes over the next few months as well just so you can i mean you know because everyone's obviously just hanging out because you obviously what care reading. what we're reading um so <laughs> we're gonna tell you yeah we're gonna tell you yeah um with that said i i'm totally admitting defeat right now I it's happened I'm in a reading slump 
I have got yeah. nothing. It's been coming on I... for a while, hasn't it? Oh my goodness. Oh my God. I have tried to start and abandon two books in the last week and I started another one and I'm like on the verge of abandoning it too. Um, mm. But it's kind of good because two of those books like had been on my shelf for ages. So now I'm just like, cool, don't want to read this, going to donate it to someone else, don't care. Like, that's fine. Yeah. It's kind of good. It's kind of constructive in a way because I was like, mm, okay, I'm getting through my list of books. Um, so I'm actually going to I'm actually going to reread This Is Gonna Hurt by Adam Kay, which I love um, because someone suggested to me in a Facebook group, like, if you're in a reading something, like, try rereading something. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll try rereading re-read that. because it's always a great hack to get out of a reading slump. And I also go, like, I think nonfiction always gets me out of a slump as well. Um, but, dear listeners, you're going to be left with that because will you? No uh, final recommendation. To me? Maybe we'll no. just never do a podcast again because I'll never read another book. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This could be the end. Forget all of that. This could be the end. Plan. Isn't that how like, that feels, happened? though, when you're, in a, when you're in a reading slump and you're just like, I'm never going to finish another book ever again. Like, I just don't. I'm not in the mood. I'm not. I just... I can't every time I can't and I'm such a mood reader yeah every time I have a bit of a slump like that I just think of and I think or even if things are just a bit busy and crazy and a bit slow and I'm not you know like you're not feeling the brain power even though you do really want to read you know the books that are sitting next to you or whatever and then whenever I'm in that all I can think about is the times where I know I've read like six books in a month or something or like that mm. one camping holiday that was 10 days and I read like seven books and I'm like who is she how do I get her back <laughs> it all evens out eventually because yeah I was thinking that I was like I'm gonna read so many books when we're overseas like I'm gonna read so many books yeah. on the plane but back. yeah but I just I don't know right now I have tried starting a classic to read um which I just was like oh so yeah, boring. when you texted like, me and said that, which what did you start again? I've started North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell because I really like the adaptation. Oh, right. I couldn't remember and I just what it was, but when you said to me, new. you were like, okay, I'm up to trying a classic for this slump. I was like, oh, like, I don't think that'll work. <laughs> like, Well, I was like, no, I'm just going to pick a book off my shelf yeah. and maybe something completely different will work. But I just was like, oh, my God, like the TV adaptation is so much better. Um, And, yeah, so I'm like on the verge of like – but then this is the thing. I'm in the mood where I'm like if I don't want to read this book, then I'm just donating it. Like I'm starting a pile of books. And there was a book that I started reading last night and have abandoned um, because it's really boring. But (laughs) I bought that in university, which was 10 years ago. So I was just like "Mm, if I'm not feeling this – on the donation pile it goes. Yeah. So I guess it is sort of it is sort of helpful in, in a way. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, so what a what a crappy end to the season. I don't have anything <laughs> to recommend. I do I mean, okay, so this is the thing. My recommendation is related to this episode and it will all make sense once you've listened to the episode. But my recommendation is to watch the movie The Spy Who Dumped Me with Mila Kunas and Kate McKinnon because it's brilliant. I love it. And it's so I think funny. we went to see it in the cinemas together. Um, I think we might have, yeah. 
Yeah. And I just feel like it's like the perfect, like guys will like it because it has genuinely good action, but then it's also really funny. And like, it's not a chick flick action thing. It's like actually good action. Like it's really good. It's It's so so funny, really enjoyable. Absolutely loved revisiting that again. Um, And yeah, at the moment, my mind is just like, I'm, I've, I really think I'm kind of close to burnout. And again, that's something that I guess I've been thinking a lot about since we had that discussion with Abigail Bergstrom, which is probably like one of the episodes I'm proudest of of the season because we had such an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some lovely feedback on that this week. And honestly, we just kept texting each other being like, thank you so much. Thank you. I know. Like, it was so, so wonderful. Nice. Seriously made my day. Because that's the other thing. I think when you're feeling burnt out, you're just like, oh my God, why am I doing anything? And it takes a lot to do this podcast. And sometimes towards the end of the season, you start getting really, really tired. And you're just like, oh my God, there's so much time. And then you get f- like one bit of feedback like that. And I'm like, oh, yay. That's why I like doing this podcast. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I need every to time that. I'm like, oh that. man, this is a lot of work. Like when will we stop doing this? Do you think like one person is like, oh, I listened like, and that's it. And I'm like, oh, and that's it. I'll continue. <laughs> um, also, yeah. let's be honest, like we can continue while I live in a different country too, because it's like the way that we keep in check with each other. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've, this podcast oh. has been through a lot. Um, I know. Oh my God. Today, also, also, can I just say at the end of this month, it's going to be five years since we started this podcast. Oh my God. It is too. I wasn't even I thinking know. about our <laughs> July birthday. Oh my God. I know. Wow. I know. That's a long time. I know. And we've had, so let's just reflect on this because obviously like this oh, is we're clearly in this intro. mood. Oh my goodness. We're clearly in this mood. Um, so since then, so I had actually met Jack before then. So, you know. Only whatever, just like, though. Only just. I moved in with a boy. You moved out of home as well. Yeah. And you got a new job. And like but before then, you know, we both got like promotions and stuff. And then, you know, I moved overseas. You moved to Sydney for your dream job in publishing yeah. I moved, I, I got stuck in, COVID. <laughs> in lockdowns, COVID, all of that, an engagement. And then we moved back. We've had like, my dad died, you know, it's just so mm. much stuff has happened in this five years. And, and then like later this year, it's going to be a wedding. Yay. Oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's like, nuts. yeah, it's truly like ridiculous I've lived in I have lived in one two three four five six we've moved six times since we started this podcast a lot of moving oh my god I know granted one of those places I lived in twice because there was my old house that we moved back into when we came back to Australia too but that's where we started the podcast so you know oh and that's also like I moved twice. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone overseas. I've gone overseas uh, twice on holidays. You've been overseas once on holidays to America. Yeah. 
we technically started this after my other trip and then COVID, so I never got to go, but I'm going in October. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, oh my goodness. And, you know, I know, so many people interviewed, so many books read. I've now worked oh, in publishing and done this podcast hosts. longer than I'd done the podcast before I worked in publishing. Yeah, true. Three podcast hosts as well. Four, three, four. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, like... um. The like data feed thing. We've changed that several times. Yes, changed that several times. Um, but yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, what's well, happened? Um, I don't have <laughs> so a recommendation either because my reading slowed down at the end of our season, trying to catch up with everyone that we were, you know, interviewing. Well, can and I prompt? Can I prompt your recommendation? Yes. I think you should recommend something that you told me to watch in our text this morning. Yes. So we do also have a shared recommendation which is related to this um because we just keep blabbering on um so this week on just the gist um abby chatfield was the guest host while rosie is still on a break and jacob gave her just the gist of the salem witch trials which again when will that... make sense once you've listened to this episode <laughs> yes but also highly recommending listening to that episode of just the gist because we recorded on wednesday night thursday thursday night. oh my god and then just the gist goes up on fridays <laughs> so it was like right there and we were both like oh my god awesome what perfect timing so good <laughs> um and both listened to it um but Abby spoke about her pilot TV show on Channel 10's pilot showcase um, before, like in their little intro chat. Um, And her pilot showcase is called Abby Chats, which is hilarious. And the pilot episode is where Abby talks to a group of asexual people and also hangs out on the set of a porn um, being filmed. Um, to learn about these sort of extreme sides of sex, I guess. And it was so interesting and so fun to watch. And I really hope her show gets picked up because she's just a delight and I love watching her on TV. But it was a really, really interesting TV show to watch. Sounds so good and that's why... I was like, oh, I was, I was driving back home to record this. And I was like, if Caitlin doesn't have anything, maybe she should do that. Um, because I'm so excited to watch it now. It sounds so great. And yes, loved that episode of Just the Gist. Um, so yeah, we were going to recommend Just the Gist regardless, just because it ties in so beautifully with What this great timing. Listen to our channel Caitlin and roll right on to the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, then read Haley's book. Um, it's it's perfect. Um, yeah, so that's sort of that's it in the most chaotic way possible. I know in our chaotic, <laughs> reflective sort of recommendations, but not really um, last intro of the season. Um, but we do have a cracker of an interview for the last one. So let's get onto that and have some fun with Haley Thompson. And just a side note before we do, we're going to share with you a trailer for a podcast that our lovely friend Thalia is putting together. So while we're not bringing out new episodes, you'll have a new bookish podcast to listen to. 
and welcome to the Wild Books Podcast. I'm Thalia Caddy, book lover, cat mom and candle maker. After years working in the glittering West End in the theatre industry, I swapped plays for books and started Wild Books, a small business with a big heart, with a vision to enrich your life through the world of books. This is not a book review podcast. This is the start of a conversation around ideas explored in books, which will open your hearts and minds. Taking inspiration from fictional stories and a wide library of non-fiction books, we go deep into subjects that matter and that will positively impact your life. By looking through the eyes of other people with different life experiences, I challenge you to listen with openness. So take a deep breath, get curious and allow yourself to be surprised. Our guest today writes novels about candid characters for anybody who ever watched Joe March leap over a friend and longed to be her best friend. Bizarrely, during her teen years, she was often afflicted with a headache every third Monday in September when she was left with no option but to stay home from school and watch her favourite female comedians collect Emmys live on the other side of the world. Today, we're going to be chatting about her debut YA novel, The Comedian's Guide to Pride. Welcome to Better Words, Hayley Thompson. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle and Caitlin. Thank you so much for joining us. I love that line in your bio about wagging school to watch the Emmys because oh, I, know, it's the best. I always tried to wag school on sports days. I didn't necessarily. I always yeah. did. My parents oh, often wouldn't but let me. I was a little but... nerd. I actually did. I actually did do like assignments and stuff instead like I would actually do schoolwork because I'm a little nerd but you know yeah, my dad would always ring up and be like oh yeah she can't come she's sick oh, my dad made me go <laughs> yeah I oh don't worry I definitely took sports days off um I would have some other problem on a sports day especially when I had to swim um it's crazy how ear infections just absolutely flared up um when I had to swim. and how, how often do you get your period yeah. You know, I had it. Amazing. I think I had it every week um, from January to to June. I'm surprised they didn't, you know, yeah. take me to a doctor. But um, yeah, I got away with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Someone at work the other day was like, "Would anyone be up for like a touch team?" I was like, "I'm sorry, no. I don't do group sports. No, oh, no extracurriculars." I know when I when I first started at Harper um, pre-COVID, there was a because we work in like the middle of the Sydney CBD, there was like a, a office um, netball team that was like a thing that obviously someone ran for like, and like we would play against like accountants and lawyers and stuff. And I have no idea how I got roped into it, but I got roped into I've never played netball at school or anything. And then so I think like I was just obviously really nice and new and I was like, I guess I'll like try, but I didn't even know how to play. That's it was so, so nice. bad. I'm so glad it hasn't come back since COVID. And if it does, hopefully everyone knows me well enough now to not ask me to play again. Will you, will you wing attack, Caitlin? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is my memories of netball as well in, in school when I, like, um, I just never learnt the rules or anything. Like, no one ever told me the rules. And then suddenly I was there, but they were all yelling at me, like, because I was doing things wrong. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. Like, like, what do all these letters mean? I never played at school. (laughs) And when 
Well, neither did I. I tried to sit out after that. It was very stressful. <laughs> when I, re- I remember the first game I played at this, like, l- you know, lunchtime league thing. Um, the- oh, God, at lunchtime. Yeah, oh, it was like a work thing. On your lunch yeah. Yeah. It was weird. Oh, that's even worse. But, like, the ref or whoever was sort of, like, running these games, we, like, we started and she, yeah, like, she said to me, she was like, run like I, and I was like I don't know where I'm supposed to go I know it was one of those things where people were like you'll get the hang of it on the court but I need to know what I am doing I need the instructions beforehand yeah. and I was just like no like if someone had sat me down and told me how it happened I, I probably would have been like I would have got yeah. by yeah. but instead they made it really scary anyway, anyway. our first change in less than Sports. four minutes traumatic in. traumatic sport I can remember um, at my first in year seven at my first parent teacher interview with my PE teacher my dad sat down and he said look I'm not really expecting much here from Hayley um she's, she's more the kind of kid who sits on the side and reads a book um and you know I was fine with that because I think I got away with a lot after that yeah <laughs> yeah that sounds like a dream so good. if you. your parents um, are so supportive of that behavior they, in they were, classes, yeah, then in many ways yeah much better that's the main thing so speaking of books obviously you're a bookish kid and now you've written a book let's start with what your book is all about okay so my book is about a 17 year old uh comedian basically she's she's hiding her identity as a comedian and she goes to improv once a week in the next town over so she lives in salem in massachusetts and when the book begins she's just been named a finalist in saturday night live's writing internship for marginalized writers uh for young writers as well so she hasn't told anybody that she knows that she's actually been named a finalist and she asks Saturday Night Live to keep it a secret and that is because nobody actually knows that she is a marginalised writer and that she's a lesbian. So within the time period of having asked Saturday Night Live to keep this a secret and when the when the winner is revealed, she knows that she has to come out otherwise the contest and the announcement of the winner is going to basically out her. So she has one month to to really get her shit together um and if she doesn't then you know she's she's ended up her own worst enemy so throw in a girl that she's got a cross <sighs> yes um some family drama family drama mum's best friend <laughs> rocking up from new york who's just absolutely is you know has her life has changed in many ways and taylor looks up to her so much and then taylor projects dramatically with with her mum's best friend so it's um it's a wild month for Taylor. Yes, a lot happens. I think once I sort of got into the book, I forgot that it was only a month. So when you said that, I was like, oh my God, is that it? Like so much happens in this month. It feels like a lot's going on in her life at this moment. I love books like that though. Like we, we often lo- love YA where it just, everything comes to a head and then yeah, drama ensues. Absolutely. And I think, you know, playing with that time period, Originally, when I first started writing it, it was two months. Um, And then just the way everything came together, it it needed to be so much tighter with the story and for the stakes. And I think in the end, it turned out to work much, much more effectively with the one month there. I think so, because it, I mean, and the stakes are so high because, as you said, it's not just one secret. It's actually two. and. I love that that's, there's the great line on the blurb coming out as funny and gay or something, which is hilarious. Yeah, so, I mean, that was something that I really did want to showcase, that it's not just a coming out story. 
somebody coming out as queer, but it's somebody who is really embracing every part of what makes them who they are. And, you know, I think we all have hang-ups about different parts of our identity for so many different reasons. Um, And that could be learned behaviours from childhood or it could be just people who are around us when we're older, just, you know, wonderful society. Um, So, yeah, it's. I just really wanted to showcase that because I think there are a lot of coming-out stories that really do focus on, you know, queer identity. And that's great, but I think, you know, there are definitely other things that influence that at the same time and and confidence as well. So, yeah, yeah, nothing's one thing. Yeah, and the like the coming out as funny part is so relevant at that age as well because so many people have, you know, they think like what kind of career or something could I pursue? Like, and it's obviously like wanting to be a comedian and potentially work on SNL is quite a a big dream, some might say, but like even when it comes down to as like, I don't want to go to that university, I want to go to this one or I want to study this course instead, mum and dad or like any of those things. It's such a big life-changing time where you obviously a lot of YA um, deals with the fact that you have to kind of make up the rest of your life when you're 17 is what it feels like so and I do think that there's like I've been talking about this with friends actually with there was some news in the UK that some universities have dropped their English literature degrees and I guess it just speaks to this idea that um, a life and a career in the creative field be that writing comedy acting dancing drama singing anything is sort of seen as like well you need a backup plan or you need to have a second option it's not as stable and I just wondered too like did you ever face that when it came to writing like obviously sounds like your parents were really supportive of your reading but when you were like I'm gonna try and make it as a writer (laughs) were they ever like "Mm." they were always incredibly supportive um I actually started out at uni doing acting so Um, I think when I did decide to change over to become an English lit major, um, it was, I think a bit of a shock because I'd been so in love with acting for so long, Mm -hmm. but it was never, it was never an issue. No, not at all. Um, I think a lot of people, especially in those early years where you are still at uni or you just come out of uni and you, you really want to write and you want to try to make a career out of it, but you don't have an agent or you haven't even finished a manuscript, you know, just completing a manuscript is the first big goal. Um, I think there can be so much discouragement, not even from people who are close to you, but just anybody that you talk to. And yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense why there's so few writers really um because there is such discouragement I would think that like journalism is like the it's almost like the less risky option in a way I would have thought right but I can't tell you the number of times that when I met people um when I was in uni and said I'm studying bachelor of journalism they would tell me that it's a dying industry or that there's no job opportunities and yet now I sort of think that I probably have more job security as a journalist than, say, writers who are writing creatively, who are trying to publish. Like it's, I mean, we sort of, I don't know how often these discussions take place, but I think because I'm tuned into them, I see them happening all the time, but we see discussions and I'm sure you're part of them, Haley, in the writing community about how difficult it is to make a living as a full-time writer in Australia and basically how you 
make money not from your actual book yeah but from the things around it and stuff right but it's amazing that like I don't know I I was discouraged I was being discouraged right from the start of like you're never going to find a job you're not going to have this but to me there seems to be more opportunities as a journalist than than other creative industries so I can only imagine how much more you get you really you do have to build that resilience and just like trust that it's going to happen I think and you know but it is crushing when you're like a shy 17 year old and you're like yeah I'm so excited to be studying journalism and then like the middle-aged person you meet is like well there's no future in that so what's your backup plan and you're like oh yeah. I don't know yeah. I just had boundless optimism about the world and I wasn't crushed yet until you yeah. said that absolutely and like that's really surprising to me that so many people were discouraging and this was 10 years yeah. ago yeah. <laughs> I feel like journalism you've got even less yeah. you've got even less jobs now like it is funny because I feel like journalism sort of is in that basket now and maybe I know that because I you know went to uni with a lot of journalists and obviously you're my best friend Michelle you know um, me and you know that I worked for the organization where like a thousand people yeah, lost their job like you know you hear all those stories you know? but um also there was a moment in the book because isn't Taylor like what where she's supposed to go to uni is to study journalism and so there was a moment in the book where like literally someone said oh but this is like much more stable or something and I and I my brain I immediately went well you know like <laughs> yeah but I mean, it, I, I mean like, statistic, like I would say though like at least when you do get a full-time job as a journalist especially in regional Australia I can't speak to metropolitan areas but at least you can make a living like I was able to save and buy a car I wasn't getting paid anywhere near enough now I know I wasn't I was getting paid uh, like what is quite a small wage especially for what I was being asked to do but you know I got to save and buy a car I got to save and go overseas like it's it's not like you're just getting by on a five thousand dollar book advance or something like that you know like it's it is I think the more stable option but yeah it just um hearing you sort of talk about that reminded me and yet you know I've had a full-time job for most of that time so who was wrong there I think proved them wrong people like to have opinions though on things that they don't they haven't lived as an experience or I find it funny that everyone said sort of like study law and and it's like well actually all the law students that I know said that there's way too many lawyers and not enough jobs so is that the better option and I just I I mean clearly I've gone into a creative industry you guys have too. We've chosen something that we're passionate about over a job that's going to make us loads of money. We've all yeah. made <laughs> we've all made that option, yeah. right? Um, so I can't comprehend doing something and studying something just for the sake of making a lot of money. That is yeah. not, and I'm sure uh, most of the people who are listening are probably, yeah, probably along the same, the same lines. Yeah. Oh, who's got time for that? I'd rather, you know, enjoy what I'm doing. It would be nice if we all got paid a, a decent long, amount nice, for what we but, do, you know. But especially, like, you know, the publishing industry, it's horrible how hard it is to make a living as a writer in Australia. But anyway, we are getting on a tangent. Let's go back to the book. <laughs> well, because I believe I want to ask about your trip to Salem, because am I right? And that's where the book kind of sparked for you? It did, yeah. So I had been to Salem when I was 21, and then I went back again just before I wrote the manuscript, the entire manuscript. I think I'd written two chapters just before I left. Um, but, yeah, Salem is just – and that second trip absolutely 
gave me so much material to write about. Why did you want to go initially? Was it just the whole witch Uh, trial? Yeah, I think so. I went to, so I had seen The Crucible when I was, I think about 15 or 16. And I loved that. And then just after that, I I was a big fan of practical magic when I was growing up. So all of those witchy vibes, I and I love history as well. So I really wanted to go to Salem. Um, and I went to Boston. So I was staying in Boston. So I was like, okay, where can I go from Boston? And I definitely wanted to go to Salem. And on that first trip, I went I went to Salem on two different days um, because there's so much to do in Salem. They have about, you know, 50 museums and they're all the same thing, but, you know, they might have a different, <laughs> might have a different waxwork. Um, so it was, um, yeah, there's just so much to do there and there are so many interesting people that you just meet. Yeah, it, it's such an interesting little town of people who want to tell you their stories. I think as well when you've, when you've been in the big cities in America and then, you know, you go somewhere that is a little bit of a smaller town, it's it's such a different vibe. And I was there by myself as well. So having, having those little bits of communication with people during the day was really yeah. nice and memorable. But, yeah, it's just it is such a strange place because it's so full of tourist traps but it's yeah. also it has such a rich history and it's gorgeous. It's this little New England town. So I love I just love that that dichotomy of, of the two yeah the like true and real sort of yeah. side and then the yeah the yeah fake touristy money making I love the way you bring yeah. that into the book as well like is that sort of yeah why you wanted to be like right I'm gonna base it here and you know that that sort of stuff is woven in where she's like, you know, everyone tries to make up their connection. Yeah. You know, we've all got to have a connection. <laughs> everyone has a relative who was yeah. burned at the stake. And... <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it actually started, the whole entire story started with, without a story, um, it just began with Taylor basically um, being sassy about Salem and, and talking about how her mum had started this B&B and was making stuff up to... Um, the people that were staying there about their relationship to the witch trials. And it's just, I can remember this, um, there was a woman in a shop and she was trying to sell me um, witch herbs. And she was telling me that, you know, I could definitely get it through customs. I didn't want to buy them in the first place. She was just trying to sell this little bottle of herbs to me. (laughs) And I was trying to be really polite and I had to leave in the end because it was just, I was not going to leave without those herbs. Um, And yeah, it's just stuff like that I think is, is really funny to write about um, because it says a lot about humanity. And I think it's not even like a money thing. It's like a satisfaction thing that people get out of tricking other people. It must be so strange in it's like in a place where the whole town is like a tourist attraction. Like it's not like you go to Salem to see the one thing necessarily. It's just the whole town is like, you're like, I'm in Salem. This is where they burned witches. <laughs> like, yeah. And like opposite the, so there's a memorial to um, the people who were executed and uh, directly, and it's a really solemn memorial. You sort of, it's like a, um, the memorials are almost sh- shaped like seats. Um, so it's this stone um, structure and it's sort of like a little courtyard, but directly across from that is it's like um, the wizard and um, 
it's like it's it's just so contradictory. It's um, <laughs> it's something like the the Torturers Museum or something, and oh but it has something to do with Salem at the same time. And it's like if you look to this side of the road, you know, there's a memorial to people who were um, executed because people believed in this in this stuff. And then on the other side, there's you know, you have a long like, line going right down the road um, of all these kids trying to get into the Torturers Museum. Wow, it's <laughs> so strange. Why did you want to set the book there? I mean, obviously, so Taylor can be funny about Salem, but like in the basic storyline of Taylor needing to tell her mum about being gay and being funny, she could have lived anywhere. So yeah. why Salem? Why Salem? I think because I wanted her to have that voice that was very um, critical of other people because it's it's so ironic because she is deeply critical about herself mm-hmm. and she doesn't really realise that until this happens and she's entered this competition. Um, and then Charlotte, of course, her love interest does make that very clear to her that she, you know, has has a lot of problems there that she has to deal with. Um, but I think that it was just a really easy way of course, you have to represent setting in a story. So I thought, okay, how can I sort of kill two birds with one stone here? I wanted the setting to represent something that Taylor could be really critical about. And I mean, I'm sure there would be heaps of places um, that could do that. But this one just felt, it felt pretty right for the story. And I felt as well that because I'd been there, um, that I could probably you know look at a map and figure some things out <laughs> yeah. first town her voice came from Salem um it wouldn't have come from anywhere else as easily as it did come from Salem I love hearing about because it seems so foreign to me this idea that you just have this voice and you know that that's what the character wants and that's what the character represents but you know we hear that often from authors and I'm just like that's so I know weird. I don't I have that in one my day head, that happens but... to me that's so awesome um on a more serious note obviously part of what you explore in the book is queer identity but also some of the biphobia that happens within the queer world and we talked about this a little bit when we talked to Sophie Gonzalez about perfect on paper as well but you know, why was that something that you wanted to explore in this context and and within, you know, Taylor's own coming out story? So I'm a lesbian um, and in the in the queer community, I see a lot of biphobia, as we all do, regardless of which community we're in. But I think that it was really important to this story because Taylor was realising things about how... It, she's realizing how wrong she is about so many different things. And that was, the biphobia was always a concept that I wanted to explore in fiction um, because I think that we just don't get those explorations at all. We get representations of biphobia, but we never seem to get representations of, um, of the person who is being biphobic, realizing that and really pulling apart their wrongdoings and I think that you know so many people who are biphobic that comes from learning from having learned so many different things when you were younger um it's not it's it's almost like I don't know it's just incredibly toxic and when we unpack where biphobia actually comes from most people who are biphobic uh or will say biphobic phobic things and don't think they're biphobic um when you when they actually unpack it and when you really think about it and this is what I found when I worked with Taylor is that their beliefs totally their biphobic beliefs completely contradict 
their true beliefs. And everything that Taylor stands for, everything that she believed, was so contradictory to the way she speaks about Jen. And I did, of course, it worked, interrogating biphobia worked really well for this story because it was a wonderful way to represent that because by that point in the story when Taylor realises how biphobic she's been about Jen, she really sort of can recognise that and apologise to Jen and really really digest the way that she's behaved throughout the story. Um, but it, it, it worked for this story. Um, I don't know if I could have unpacked it as well in another story if it wouldn't, if, because Taylor needed to go on that journey of recognizing all of her faults in order and what she stood for in order to recognize how biphobic she'd been. Yeah. But I just think it's really important because we don't really see it much at all. And as you say, like we don't see it from, that perspective because I guess none of us want to admit or look at our own faults and stuff but we all have these faults that you know and I think too sometimes there's a lack of nuance around like so many things these days but you know if someone says racist things or says biophobic things or says homophobic things that (laughs) I'm scared of saying this because I feel like I'll you know get in trouble but that doesn't necessarily make them a bad person yeah. immediately but we are all scared that it does mean that because it's a bad yeah. thing that they've done but that action it's it's sort of that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person there are obviously situations yeah. where if that continues once it's called out it's sort of in the response to that and whether they change their behavior yeah. that should be what we judge the person's character on but I feel like there's a lack of nuance around our discussions with a lot of things like two things can be true at the same time yeah Yeah. but we 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 really online especially like tend to talk in black and white and it's really hard to especially online I feel like it's really hard to say I'm sorry that's not what I intended without that sounding like you're being fake if you're trying to apologize but genuinely obviously it doesn't matter whether you intended it to hurt it can still hurt but it's really hard to confront that and be like I'm sorry genuinely and not have it it's it's just so I guess people shy away from even going there and examining it but to have that sort of to have Taylor go through that journey and to apologize and to sort of recognize that I think is such a great example to set for younger readers and every reader in particular, but you know, teenage people who are reading this to show that like, yes, it is okay to acknowledge like when we are all flawed people, but it's like how we respond to those things and to those mistakes. And no one's ever going to go through life without offending someone inadvertently hurting someone yeah but and it's even the response yeah to and even someone really close to you because of course you know Jen is a very close family friend to Taylor and her mother and that Taylor has looked up to Jen as a queer woman for so long and that she's really um dealing with that with her own identity comparing herself to Jen and her relationships and, and like you said before yeah, projecting yeah totally projecting herself <laughs> yeah. onto her and dealing with everything and it was I thought it was explored really, really well. And I really enjoyed reading about Jen's relationship with both Taylor and her mother, like over the years and how she was the first person to stay with them at the inn and like all of that. It's such a nice story. And I think 
It's so hard. I love I love how tough Jen is with Taylor as well. There's a great moment where um Jen says she's like she's acting she's acting like a victim or is like doing a bit of like a victim like pretending to be a victim or something. And I loved that scene because I was like, Oh my god, teenage girls, we were the worst. Like she's causing yeah. a lot of this own drama herself mm-hmm. as you know, seventeen year old girls tend to do. Um <laughs> very frustrating but I think it it comes back to like everyone right like we all think we're like the hero in our story or we're like we're the main character and stuff and again that's maybe why we're so reluctant to like I think it's just it's so cool and such a great example as I said to be like hey it's okay to explore your wrongdoings learn from them and like own up to them and like move forward with not just pretend that they didn't happen and that you've always been perfect because no yeah, one is. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I work um, as a tutor as, as well because, you know, writer. Um, so <laughs> last week my students were writing essays on cancel culture and it's so interesting like what you were saying a second ago, Michelle, about how, about nuance really. And I think, you know, online, we, we don't have that tone and we don't have that nuance. And the thing is with, you know, I've had so many, especially older men, um, say so many homophobic things. But at the same time, it's like they don't realise that they're doing that. And no. there is this nuance to it. And it's, it can be really offensive and really hurtful. And for the rest of the day, you know, I've been out for almost 10 years. The rest of the day, it can leave you feeling really nauseated um like oh that happened or that was said I can remember once it was funny because I was actually writing this story and it had just been picked up by an agent and I remember this man had googled um one of my romance novels because I wrote romance before uh, YA and he said why do you why do you have to write I had won an award for one of these um romance novels and I was really happy about it at the time and I told him and some other men who were part of Bible study. Um, and he said, why do you have to, why do you have to sort of identify yourself as queer? Why can't you just write, why can't you just write fiction in general? And wouldn't it feel better to win awards that weren't catering to, you know, queer people? And that was really, it was really hurtful. Um, but yeah. I sort of, I recognised at the, at the time that he wasn't, he wasn't saying it to be hurtful. He was saying it to, to, he was basically saying you're talented and you should open yourself up to a wider audience. And I could see where he was coming from. And I think that's the thing. Um, you know, he was, he didn't share my, you know, belief system or whatever it, it may be, whatever we'll call it. But he, he was still, he it was coming from a different place. And I think yeah. that sometimes you know, with the way that we are on online and stuff, we we have to recognise that it's not real life. I just, I agree with that nuance because life is nuanced and, yeah. And, like, of course it doesn't matter that you didn't intend to be hurtful because someone can still be hurt. Yeah. But I think when you look at the intention behind it, it sort of is like a little bit of a mitigating, yeah. like, were, were they saying it maliciously? Yes. Did they intend to win? Or was it coming from this place of ignorance? Yes, it's on 
on that person to, you know, it's then not on the marginalized person to, to do the emotional no, labor of yeah. explaining that, of course. Yeah. And I, and again, understanding all that. Yeah, yeah. No, I know still, what you're trying to say. I it's like, like the intention is an excuse. Yeah, it's not an excuse, yeah, it's not an excuse, it's not an excuse but sometimes it should it's be not, considered. But it's, it's not. It's a factor. Yeah, but I think, to, I think yeah. what we're all getting at here is that what's important is is nuance in, in mm. fiction yeah. because that's how it happens in life. And depicting those um, those moments of nuance in fiction and whether it be how the marginalised person who's hurt handles that or how the person who has done the hurting um, handles that, that, those are the representations, whether they're good or bad representations, those are the representations we need to see because that is sort of like a guidebook for how we can handle nuance yeah. in real life. It was complicated, you know. It's not just it's not one way or the other sometimes. No, it is so complicated. Oh my god! Especially goodness. like you said, Caitlin, when when you're close to people, you yeah. know, you can't just go, okay, mm. bye, dad. <laughs> yeah, or bye, so, yeah, you know. yeah. And sometimes too, that's used as a way to be like, you know, well, you can't express your anger at someone because they're a relative or you know you can't you know you can't actually say how much that's hurt you because you don't want to upset their feelings because it's your mom or whatever like but actually again showing in the book that it's okay to to have those conversations with people that you love and a lot of times not every time um, but a lot of times you'll be able to work through it and it won't have like a long lasting effect and you'll feel better because you got the resentment yeah, off your chest. Yeah. And yeah. with there's this quote that I do use in the book um, by Amy Poehler because, of course, Taylor, you know, she loves Tina and Amy and everyone under the sun from Saturday Night Live. But she does say there's this, so Amy Poehler's quote is that, you know, as women we have so much to unlearn um, that we've been taught to be sorry for. And I think that that, you know that is Taylor in so many different ways um she has so much to unlearn and I think that she's grown up in you know like she's she's 17 in in Trump's time that's that's really you know it's hard for us to figure out the way that we think about the world in any time period um but especially when you're living in such a toxic time in America um yeah, I think the way she Which actually ties in quite nicely, now that you say that, to Salem yeah. and living in a toxic <laughs> time and, yeah. you know, the way that we it treat It works women. on so many levels. It works yeah. on so many levels. Transitioning yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> to a bit of a lighter topic, I would love to talk more about Amy and Tina and SNL and everything um, because it the book obviously has lots of references to Saturday Night Live and a lot of those women and their other projects and movies and TV shows and everything. Um, and it shines through the book, obviously, that you are obsessed as Taylor is. Um, so, I mean, just like start telling us all about your relationship with Saturday Night Live and comedy and sketch comedy and improv and all of that. Yeah, so um, really it was began in the summer of 2007 um, <laughs> with, with Tina Fey. Um, I absolutely devoured 30 Rock. Um, and then after that, I think Bridesmaids was hugely influential um, as oh, well. It's so good. It's so good. And I think the thing with Bridesmaids is that it just sort of came out of nowhere. Like I didn't really... I knew Kristen Wiig, but I didn't know her mm. as well as I knew her after Bridesmaids. And 
Yeah, I think it felt, it felt like it came out of nowhere and it just, you know, totally changed the game in so many different ways. Um, and, yeah, and then Kate McKinnon. Um, I had known her not personally. Um, I was... <laughs> <laughs> My close friend. Kate, Kate Saturday at 11 for me. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I had known her before she was on Saturday Night Live. She used to do some, like, YouTube videos and stuff like that. Um and yeah, when I was coming out, there was, there wasn't really anyone who was, um, I mean, of course I didn't grow up in the 1960s, but, um, <laughs> when, when I was coming out, there weren't a lot of people who were as out as Kate was out. And mm. so she had a huge impact on me in that way. Um, because she was so, in, she's always been so incredibly confident in who she is, um, and in her comedy. So I love Kate. Um, yeah, there were so many comedians. Maya as well um, from her years on SNL. Uh, just so many comedians who've had such an impact on me. Um, yeah, so I think it was it was a matter of going, okay, how can I work this into the story um, in a way that doesn't seem like it's a bible of pop culture references. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, it's so funny though because it's all like. It's all new to me because I don't. I know. I was going to say. I wondered how much of this you got, Michelle, because I have to say, I, I mean, nowhere near as much as you, Haley. But I think a lot of these things, like, I've really come to a lot of those people through, like, you know, watching Parks and Rec and Bridesmaids and like other, like even like Baby Mama. Yes. baby mama um you know these things that and then I've read Tina and Amy's books and like just sort of more and more I'm get quite I'm so into like sitcoms and everything like that and you just get more into but behind. I'm like that but like just British right now I've got books by Joe Lycett I've got James Acaster I've got Rob Beckett I've got Tom <laughs> Allen like I and I you know, we'll listen to all their podcasts. I will watch all their stuff. I, there seems to be an absolute abundance of UK panel shows paneled entirely by comedians. Yeah, but they all just like, jump sign around me and up do for that. shows all the time. It's great. Yeah, like mock the, oh my God, nothing has delighted me more <laughs> than getting my fiance into politics by introducing him to mock the week and have I got news for you, which are essentially comedy current affair shows. Like, he he knows British politics now because solely because of that, and I'm so happy. And he will be the one who'll be like, "Is there any new model?" <laughs> like, but yeah, it's it's so funny because like I did relate only like I couldn't obviously couldn't picture everything or all of their comedy, but I just imagined it was like like we are very big into comedy in this house, but only niche <laughs> British comedians. I mean, we have a great we have like a one of those like typography artwork things where it has like where everything's like justified and it's different sizes that is part of a monologue from James Acaster's opening repertoire set <laughs> so in our lounge room there's just like a thing about like his whole sketch about um think you're too good for a free banana and all that sort of stuff it's like I love it every it makes me smile every time oh I see God. it so there is something so special though about comedy and I don't know. I always watch them and I'm just like, you're so I, smart and funny. Why am I not this smart and funny? It's so clever. I love stand up. I've, since like getting binge, because SNL is on binge, I've really enjoyed actually watching full episodes of SNL. Oh, maybe I should. Yeah. yeah. Now that I uh, steal Kayla's yeah. binge. Yeah. They're not. Um, 
they don't stay on there for that I long i'll be it. honest but like when particularly when there's like a good host or musical guest um yeah. <laughs> taylor swift um but <laughs> but i love watching them and i feel like i love i just love it so much i love stand up i i also just love i love people making art about things that they love. Yeah. So Haley, I love that you were like I'm putting every this is reference in here. <laughs> I am passionate about. I want to do this. I mean, in front of me also on my bookshelf is this is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> by <laughs> Carvin, which is the perfect <laughs> example of that. Um but like I just I there is nothing that makes me happier than hearing other even if I literally couldn't give a shit about it. Like I mean, I guess that's why it's great being a journalist as well, because that's literally your job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so many people I'm like, I don't care about this thing, but I love that you yeah. love it. So tell me yes. more. Well, like, tell us about yeah. when you went to SNL, because I saw this on your Oh Instagram. my gosh. I was so stressed. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> so I, I entered um, and then, it, so it was for tickets. So Saturday Night Live has a lottery where you can win um tickets to just go and sit in the audience. So um, this time they were running like a competition looking for Saturday Night Live's biggest fan. And so I thought, okay, this isn't just like a luck of the draw thing. This is a, this is a competition of skill. <laughs> so I must win it. <laughs> so I, I entered and I knew that it would be a show that was coming up really soon. And I'd just been to America and it felt really stupid to be entering when I had just been because it was just for the tickets. It wasn't, they weren't giving flights or anything like that. Um, I would totally uh, do this too. Don't worry. Oh my gosh. The right thing. These silly things you do where you're like, must win, must do this. Um, And so I entered and I thought, oh, you know, whatever will happen. And two nights later, um, it was Friday night, I got this email from NBC saying, you know, we'd love to sort of have you. And I was like, oh, no. Um, and then so it was um, it was just the most exciting week. And um, about – So how long did you have – I had a week and a half um, to book flights and – I bet they were expensive. Um, actually, thank you, flybys. Um, <laughs> so it, was, it was okay. Um, but, um, yeah, so I won two tickets and I took mum and we – we went for about a week to New York and um, it was just so exciting. We went to the actual live taping. So they do a rehearsal beforehand at about, I think, 8 o'clock at night and then they do the live taping. So we went to the live taping and um, we sat down on the floor in front of the stage. Um, yeah, so that was so exciting. Um, it, in the hallway, you have to wait before they take you out to sit down. Um, so... Alec Baldwin at the time was playing Trump and we were standing oh right outside his dressing room and he came out at one point um, and it, it, he was like, oh, hello. We, we were like, oh, hello. Um, and it was, it, that was crazy. And, you know, they're just walking around the halls. It's, I don't know if you've ever seen 30 Rock, but it looks exactly yeah. like 30 Rock, the halls of 30 Rock. So to see Jack Donahue in 30 Rock was <laughs> bizarre um it was, it was so exciting uh, I don't I was so nervous all week because I didn't know exactly what it included um 
so I knew it included the tickets, but I didn't know if I was going to dinner with Kate McKinnon. Um, so <laughs> I was so nervous all week. I, I don't, I did barely ate all week. Um, all I could eat when I got to New York was soup. And then um, after the show, I got a really large slice of pizza and um, <laughs> got back to healthy weight. <laughs> oh my so, god! Yeah, it was it was very very exciting. That's so cool. So yeah. when was that? Like, who was on the show? Oh, okay. So <laughs> speaking of cancel culture, um, it was Louis C.K. Oh, wow. Louis C.K. episode. Oh, so, yeah. Um, was he, he was host. He was the host. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And now when people ask, I'm like, <laughs> here's this thing. Oh, well, the rest <laughs> um, of the cast was there and you saw Alec Baldwin. I know. Baldwin, so that's I know. Good. I know. I saw Alec Baldwin and, um, yeah, and Kate was still on. At the time I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to go now because I have to see it while Kate's still on it because I think at that point she'd been on it for about five years and usually – and you're like she's gonna leave she's gonna become a movie star I know I know yeah Yeah. and um I had yeah and Amy I think at that point Amy Poehler held the record for um who had been in the main cast for the longest and that was like six years so I was like I've got to go now otherwise I'm never gonna get to see Kate in real life um that's crazy yeah and then she now she's done like (laughs) She only just left. Yeah. So that was I was going to say, didn't she just clock up like year yeah. 10 or something and now she's yeah. left? Yeah. So oh. that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was I know so, people don't stay for long, but so I'm exciting. shocked six years was the record. Yeah. It was, yeah, they just sort of do the, they do their time and then, <laughs> then, and then they become a movie star and they leave. Yeah. Movies. And, yeah. Mm. I know. Well, one, I love that there's also the thing of like the, um, all the people who host multiple times and like the five time yes. club or whatever. Yeah. One of the ones I watched, I think it must have been at the end of last year. And so COVID really got crazy again. And Paul Rudd was supposed to host for the fifth time. And then no one was in the audience yeah. and barely anyone could come to the set. And so it was just like him. And he was like, this still counts, right? <laughs> oh, he's such a good host every, every time. He's so good at characters. I love it. Oh my god, Michelle, you have to watch them Saturday Night Live. I have no idea. Yeah, I def- which episodes and now are on I know that it's on binge right now, now because they have just finished a season, I think, which is why everyone's retired mm. um, and leaving. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> um, okay, so lots of tangents about Salem and SNL and everything. Um, I suppose we should squeeze in our favorite, all-time favorite question about how you got, which you'll know because you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, about how you got your book deal and the road to publication. Okay. So with this book, I had signed um, with American an American publisher as well as with HarperCollins. So I had signed, so first of all, of course, um, I signed with Bridget Smith at Jabberwocky um, as my agent. So that was in 2000 and what was that? 2018 sorry forgot for a second there um at the end of 2018 so that was very exciting um because of course we write query letters as writers for a really long time and it's so it was so lovely to meet Bridget because when she saw the original manuscript it was not good and um, (laughs) she she was just so wonderful with and generous with the feedback that she she offered um and then I went away and worked on it and um and yeah, signed up with her, which was fantastic. And then 
she had she sent it out to Page Street in the US, which who are actually based in Salem. So it's really, oh, really funny, so funny. Yeah. So they they were really surprised that I was Australian. Um, yeah, it's probably a good sign that they didn't read it and think this doesn't sound yeah. like it's sent here. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, she's yeah, clearly like, never been like here. What? <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good compliment, though, that, like, they were like, oh, my God, you're not from here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, that was really nice. I, yeah, got the book deal with them, which was very exciting, and then we had held on to Australian rights um, because Bridget wanted me to, you know, see the book on shelves in my own country, and, you know, it was it was so exciting the day that I signed with HarperCollins. Um, it was just you know, to have a publisher in your own country and to be talking to people who understand, I think, your sense of humour in a different way than how Americans do. It was just so, so lovely um, to... So I met Lisa Berryman um, at HarperCollins and she was just and is the most wonderful person and was so supportive of this story and it that was just one of the highlights of my life meeting Lisa that morning um it was yeah she just she was so enthusiastic about the story and um it was so interested to know where it had sort of come from and yeah it was just so exciting that day I had done all of the edits with my American publisher gone through all of the copy edits so by that point the book the files were done um they were complete so by the time HarperCollins received the files um I know that so um I worked with Rach um at at HarperCollins so there was a little bit of of not 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 we didn't change anything but there were little things that we um we did talk about so yeah yeah, that was it was really really easy and you know of course there are two different covers so that was a lot of fun as well yes and they're both amazing like yeah the covers are so much fun love it's so so good yeah and I I feel a bit bad that we um didn't get this episode snuck in in June in Pride I know we're like we're just prolonging prolonging Pride yes that's that's a good thing yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely um was it uh, like hard or weird at all to like I guess get the colloquialisms and stuff right like because there are so many things that we don't even realize our Aussie and stuff was there anything that your American publishers were like hmm um and then also like did you have to sort of put that back in a little bit for yeah their yeah I did I mean I can't even imagine what the I must have sounded like Bandrew Patterson with the first the first manuscript <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like what um this is dinky oh, dye Aussie oh <laughs> I think um I always remember with one of my romance novels um in a review, somebody wrote that they hadn't heard the word fossicking. Like, do you, do you both use that word? Like, if you're fossicking in your bag for something? I mean, I suppose I don't use it regularly, but I know what it means. Okay. Well, <laughs> I just wrote a story about gem fossicking. Oh. So okay. I use, I, I've used it, but only in a very specific context. Okay. Of right. So this I would, I would totally understand what someone meant, though, if yeah. they said that to yeah. me. Yes. Like, yeah. Stuff like that yeah. that I think, you know, we we know and this person in this review oh my gosh they were so tickled by the word fossicking they were like now I'm going to be fossicking for everything forever um, so oh, I always think of that but with, with this story um there weren't 
there weren't major issues. Um, I think sometimes because it was a comedy, um, some of the things that we find really funny um, and our sense of humour that I can't even think of an example, but, you know, as Aussies, we're very, very dry and we have that sarcasm where I think Americans um, can be funny in other ways or sometimes our humour, it just doesn't translate. There were a few examples there where... um, where my editor was a little bit confused. I think it was mostly just confusion um, or that's not really funny. And I'm like, um, excuse me, I deserve a Mark Twain prize for that. That's hilarious. You're like, um, I'm funny. Yeah, yeah. Believe me. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I think that's maybe why I'm more attracted to like British comedies. It so feels much, like the, so much the, trans- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. the yeah. translation is, I cannot tell you the number of like British meme pages yeah. I follow that are so yeah. hilarious. I think, I think British <laughs> yeah. humour and Aussie humour is exactly the same. Yeah, so similar. Yeah, um, yeah. And American humor is just very different, and I think sometimes it's it's a tonal thing as well. So I, mm-hmm. those were most of the issues in the book. I feel like our our thing is mostly just like take the piece, like that's the main. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. sometimes there would be lines that I'd throw in that you know were better gone, um, but I think that yeah, there were things that I would throw in every now and then that that were like exactly what you're saying. We're we're taking the piss a little bit. And it just didn't hit at all, um, which was fun, you know, thinking about writing Australian stuff in the future because you, there are so many different beats to hit that are just way more natural um, to us. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that you will next time set your book in Australia? Maybe not next time uh, because I have already worked on <laughs> next book. <laughs> next, next, next time. time. <laughs> um, I'm writing a, a middle grade series at the moment for um, – for Australian for an Australian audience um and that that has a lot of it's so much fun um it's it's from the the protagonist is a um a young girl so she's very very sassy and um I like sassy characters um and it's yeah it's so much fun because Aussie humor is it's different (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh I love that um one of my favorite questions to ask people is what do you want readers to take away from this book? Uh, what I'd love people to take away from this story is that you can find confidence in and you can become a better person by making mistakes. And you can also find confidence in embracing all of the different parts of who you are. Um, I think there's equal strength in both of those. That's what I'd really like people to take away because I think that, you know, just saying, oh, I'd like them to take away confidence from this. That's, that's not going to happen. But I just like them to think about, you know, little things that Taylor's done that are funny or not funny every now and then. And, and you know, just, think oh you know at least sometimes unlikable characters um can leave a little bit of an impression in that way yeah I love do that you think answer. that she is unlikable yeah I think she's hugely unlikable um <laughs> and that's what I like so much about her she's really can be a horrible person um she just yeah I think as well I feel like know, whenever I think that about a female main character in a way novel it just makes me think about how I was as a teenager and yeah. I cannot believe that my family still puts up with me. Yeah. I like, mean, yeah. teenage girls are awful. Said it once, I'll say it again. I like, think teenagers are sometimes, you know, you find the odd teenager who, um, I mean, the teenagers that I interact with are so lovely, um, but that's because of who I am to them. I'm a junior. Yeah. Not going to be but like to each me. other or to not, their siblings or to their yeah, parents, they're like they're awful. They're not going to pull my hair or anything. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of teenagers are so, 
I think that, you know, that might come from the fact that this, a lot of teenagers are so underestimated. Last week I got um, my students as well to write um, an apology letter, a satirical piece that was an apology letter. And there were so many, of course, with Robus by, you know, being overturned in the US, so many students wrote about that. But there were also other stories that were just about privilege and were so unbelievably funny. Um, I gave one girl feedback the other day and I was just, I was telling her how I was in a cafe marking a piece and absolutely killing myself laughing. Um, it's just teenagers, I think they don't, they don't necessarily always find that platform to have their voices heard. And I think that's a really frustrating thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's hard, but yeah, some, some teenagers can be, I was, I was very dramatic sometimes. I was so dramatic, but yeah, no, I do like your answer about what the readers will take away from the book. And on a much smaller scale, I hope people revisit the Ghostbusters movie that stars Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig and Kate McKinnon. Oh, I love that. Because it was funny and people, men, didn't like it and people (laughs) should revisit it. And And people, men, should... Yeah. Out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm gonna tell my kids. It's so good. I'm, I'm gonna tell my it. kids it was the yeah. original Ghostbusters. They're never gonna. <laughs> Who cares? It was. It yeah. was so funny. I haven't even seen the original Ghostbusters. Oh, how neither have I. No. Oh neither my have gosh! I. Wow. I know. Look, I probably should, but no, I really liked. I really liked the one with them in it. They're all so funny. I know. I thought it was. Yeah. I think that was one I of the first things I saw Kate McKinnon in, and I oh, adore. Same. Wow. Yeah. I and then then I watched um I loved the spy who dumped oh, me. Oh, the movie's so good. I really loved that. They just added it to Netflix again, and I was going to watch it again <laughs> yeah. this weekend. It's so yeah. and funny. I forget about Spy Who Dumped Me, but Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters are directed by Paul Feig, and I heard him on a podcast recently talking about how he just wanted to make movies with all these funny women who he knew who didn't get to be the stars of their own movies, and so he made the movies for them. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, Paul Feig, we love you. He's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> he's the best. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, that's the note to end on. Let's all go rewatch Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so, so, so much for joining us, closing out the season on a high. Thank you. Where can people find and follow you online? They can follow me at Thompson on Instagram and online. You can just search my name on Facebook and my website is HayleyThompson.com. Perfect. Thank you. And the book is available now. And as we always say, Caitlin's role at HarperCollins didn't influence our decision. In fact, fun fact for everyone, we actively tried to reduce the number of HarperCollins books that we have on, but I told Caitlin, (laughs) no one one cares cares as much as she does. (laughs) But I try and like keep us to a bit of a quota because obviously I hear about all of our wonderful books that we're publishing and I'm like, we can't just, we can't have everyone. So just... Just um, so everybody knows, behind the scenes, Caitlin's going, no, we can't do this because it's a HarperCollins. I'm like, but I really want to do this book. I'm like, oh, it's, too, it's been too many. We can't. Yeah, so we do really try to keep it balanced. Um, yes. but So no. if anything, it's actually quite yeah. a high endorsement from me when we do have a HarperCollins <laughs> author on. That's yeah. actually really lovely. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much. Yeah. Nice little confession Yeah, while your job does help us um, have access to authors, it's it's not the only reason. We, we want you to come on because 
we love the book and we think it'll be brilliant and yeah that's the that's how we're gonna end it <laughs> thank you so much for having me and especially for the last episode that is very exciting thank you <laughs> wonderful thank you thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on instagram at better words pod and follow me michelle at unfinished bookshelf and me caitlin at just a bookish babe if you liked this episode please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review Thank you.